and welcome to Outrage and Optimism. My name's Tom Rivikarnak. I'm Cristiana Figueres. My name's Paul Dickinson. I'm Marina Mansuya Herman. And I'm Clay Carnell. This week, we are celebrating one year on the air and we're playing you some of our favourite moments from the year. We also look to the future of the podcast and we hear from you, the listeners to Outrage and Optimism. Thanks for being here. All right, guys, this is it. One year on the air. This is very exciting. I have to confess, I was never sure we'd get to this point and we get two weeks to celebrate the amazing conversation last week with Yuval Harari and to just increase the level of chaos for this episode in which we are revisiting the entire year. We have five co-hosts. We've been joined by our wonderful executive producer and producer. Welcome to both of you. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thank you. I wasn't told I was going to be a co-host today, but I feel quite important now. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not really welcoming you because you're always here, is yeah. the truth. Yeah. Yes. And nothing yeah. would happen without yeah, you. Yeah, she's always silently with us, but this time she doesn't get away with the silence. <laughs> yeah, I guess the secret's out, but we're present at almost every recording. And we react to the guests. We talk a little bit, but... I usually cut that out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that lots of people say lots of things, but in the end, Clay, you have this kind of scalpel. You you are God. You create <laughs> yeah. this entire world. And mm. it's so good to be without all the rubbish things that I say half the time. Uh, removed completely, so thank you. Yeah, Paul, Paul and I have frequently said actually that we rather wish that we had a Clay just in day to day life that you would go around and I've, edit I've been what in meetings we say where I've said something and I'm yeah. like Clay, Clay, but in real life you can't do it. <laughs> so guys, anyway, fifty two episodes, maybe a little bit less because we took January off. Um, this has been great. We've got tens of thousands of people that listen around the world every week. The podcast has cut through. We'll play you later some amazing clips from people who have sent in over the course of the last week around what the podcast has meant to them. And this means a huge amount to us to know that you're listening, to know that it's made a difference to your lives. And what we wanted to do for you today is bring you a selection of our favourite moments from across the year. Of course, there's so many. We've talked to so many amazing people, but we've all chosen a few different clips, or actually you've all chosen one and I've chosen a few, from the year that we'd like to share with you. Clay, how are we going to do this? Well, well wait, 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 like... wait, 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 Clay, hold on. Before you organise <laughs> us, I don't want us to start without recognising Tom. Mm. Because, ah. Tom, it was your idea yes. originally. It was. You pursued me, I don't know how long, that we should do a podcast, <laughs> to which my constant question was, what is a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> and it was totally your idea to start this. I, you know, I basically gave in because you were so insistent um and then we brought in paul to uh to balance us out because i think we were getting a little bit too serious and paul is always so good at um, <sighs> keeping the energy up so thank you first oh, of all thank, Tom, thank you for the very much. good idea Indeed. thank you very much thank you to everyone on the team for a fantastic execution and honestly to be very very honest I think we do it because we have a lot of fun on it. I agree. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it feels like the right moment one year in to let you in on a little secret, actually, Christiana, that as you s- describe that history, I realised you weren't aware of, which is that I was struggling to persuade you, number one, what a podcast is, and secondly, whether or not we should do Thank one. Thank you for educating me on that one. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I had a secret dinner with Paul Dickinson and we strategised how we were going to persuade you that this was a good idea to do this. And then what? we engaged in a pincer movement where Whoa. we both... Yes. <laughs> 
Wow. I'm so glad to hear this because now I shall recognize this when it happens again about something else. No, you won't. You won't. You won't. That's the whole point. It'll happen in another way and you'll think you've had this great idea. And again, Tom and I, I'm sorry. I, I, have, I have to say, I when Tom told me that this was going to be a weekly episode and like all of the logistics and scheduling, et cetera, et cetera, that goes behind it, I fell off my chair and I'm still on the floor. Uh, but somehow the magic is happening. And I don't know what was uh, how you managed to get me around, Tom, but here we are and it's happening. Uh, so, <laughs> No, I mean, it, it, essentially, Christiana sort of lives this ultra complicated life that is the creation of you, Marina. And the, the idea that you found room in Christiana's schedule for this podcast is a, is a great is, kindness. That's the true miracle, in all honesty. No, hold on. Marina puts it as top priority, I have to tell you. Good. Yeah. Good. Yes. Let the heads of state and the great corporations I, wait. I mean, wait entirely clear that. that's the only reason it's happened. Thank you, Marina. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Marina. Have I ever shared on the podcast how I met all of you? Oh, yes. We have That's to have right. that story. Yeah. Yeah. So I was on call as an engineer for a podcast studio here in Detroit. And what's unique about this studio is that it's located inside of a hotel. So one morning I get a call from a UK based number and I actually thought it was a spam call. So I ignored it. And then I received uh, just a minute later, a follow-up text from someone saying, my colleague Tom is at the Foundation Hotel and would like to schedule a recording session with you. Are you available? And I remember, you know, I had worked really late the night before and I was tired. I didn't get much sleep. And I was like, ah, I wonder if can someone else handle it? I, I'm really tired. I don't want to go in. But for some reason, I said yes. So I head into the studio. I meet Tom. We record an interview. And then right after the first interview, I kid you not, this woman comes to the door and within three minutes, she has handed me her phone and says, I just went to Antarctica and was wondering, could you take the sounds I recorded there <laughs> off my phone and make a podcast episode? <laughs> I remember in my over-caffeinated, over-exhausted state thinking, why do I have your, why did you just hand me your phone? You went to Antarctica and did what? I, this is too crazy. I, I have to say yes. <laughs> I, I have to be involved. We're still trying to work out what it is, but it's definitely happening. Yeah. Now, how many hotels have you ever been in that have a professional recording podcast studio? Yeah. And, one. Um, that's how you came into our lives. And here we are one year later. And one baby more. <laughs> one baby more, yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's true. We've had a baby during the podcast, which is great. You know, that's, that's great. I like that we get credit for having had a baby when we've really done yeah. nothing. Yeah, yeah. No. Well, no, no, no. Well, what do you mean? We've been very, very supportive of Kayana's <laughs> yeah, wife. Have. That's true. That's absolutely That's true. right, you have. And, and hasn't your infant child got an Outrage and Optimism t-shirt or Stubborn Optimist t-shirt? Yes. Uh, yeah, it actually came by mail, but it did. Uh, there you go. It didn't actually have a name on it, so I didn't know who it came from. Marina, Marina mailed it to him. <laughs> yeah, so I, I got a message from Marina saying, hey, did you get the shirt? And he w usually wears it on Fridays when we launch the podcast, but actually he just outgrew it. But it's uh, the key is get the corporate branding on the the infant born during the production in the first year. That's the way to you kind of. It's all about priorities. You got to get get them when they're young. Such a heartwarming message, Paul. Okay, so Clay, we have had so many great guests throughout the year, so many great moments. It's been so difficult to just narrow it down to a few. But what we wanted to do today is revisit some of those moments. So Clay, how's this going to work? Okay, so I gave our team the assignment to send me a clip from this past year on the podcast to play for this episode. And Paul and Christiana found their clip and returned with their clip. 
Tom went to go find his clip and returned with six. <laughs> hey, that's so not fair. It was a good year. Fair. It was a good you, year. You said we should return with one. You didn't say that you could have seven. So while I do appreciate his clip finding skills, we've narrowed it down to a few less than that. Clay, did you choose one? Yes. And Marina, did you choose one? Yes. Okay. So I've got all the clips queued up. Christiana, I say we start with yours. But before we listen, can you give our audience what this clip is and why you chose it? Well, I picked um, an excerpt from our conversation with Wanjira Matai. Um, first, because I love her. Uh, and secondly, she, she works on corruption issues. Um, and she describes it as um, poverty of courage or courage poverty. And I thought, you know, honestly, courage, poverty is more than than corruption. It's actually the big gaping hole that all of us are looking into right now. Mm, yeah. If we all step into that and muster our courage to do what we have to do, to choose our better future, to do the actions that we have to do, to speak truth to power, to do what we are really called to do here, we would turn this world on a dime. And it's the absence of courage, right? We tend to um, undermine ourselves. Uh, I'm too small. My voice won't be listened to or, you know, whatever sad excuse we give ourselves. And it is, it is that concept of courage um, to do the right thing that is, for me, the, the beacon on the hill. And the absence of it keeps us stuck where we are. Let's hear it. Here's the clip. Well, corruption is, is an interesting um, vice because it is, for me, I, I came into it just because I'm frustrated because it it festers, it it's toxic, as I say, and it renders almost everything hopeless and useless. You have crime of untold proportions. The climate crisis is largely due to corruption and greed. Hmm. And one of my favorite quotes of all time, and I hope Gus Speth said this because I use it all the time. Because I heard that Gus said that I thought the greatest environmental challenges were climate change, ecosystem collapse, and biodiversity loss. I was wrong. The greatest environmental challenge is greed, selfishness, and apathy. Because at the core of those three things, that is is the definition of corruption. And to think that there is a fundamental connection between most of the challenges that we face today, name it, with corruption and greed, for me was fundamentally um, arresting. Mm. And as we were thinking about what to do with the Wangari Mathai Foundation, we were very clear that the legacy would be to young people. But what would be the focus of this work? Mm-hmm. Uh, almost prophetically, the East African Institute at the, at the Aga Khan University in Nairobi released a survey on East African youth. And about the youth, we learned this. First of all, 80% of Kenya's population is under the age of 35. 80%? 80%. Wow. And you know that by 2050, over half of the continent of Africa will be under the age of 25. 
So look at that demographic of young people on that continent. Mm. I call the heart of the globe. They are an extremely young population, but these were their uh, perspectives and their values in, in, the, in this survey. 58% of those in Kenya said they would be willing to do anything for money. 45 said corruption is a legitimate tool for business. Wow. It is a tool for doing business. And 73% of them in a country that produced Wangari Mathai said, that Wangari Mathai is the woman they most admire. She was the highest in their ranking. But 73% of them said they would not be willing to stand up for what they believe. Whoa. For fear wow. of retribution. We knew immediately that that would be the focus of the Wangari Mathai Foundation's mm-hmm. work. To begin to work with youth to unpack where this courage deficit is coming from, where this integrity deficit is coming from. And in fact, that it's manifesting all across every sector, from education to finance, high government offices, the lowest grassroots uh, collectives. Corruption is a legitimate tool for doing business. We have got to shift this culture. It is slow and deep work, Mm. but it can be done is part of our thinking. And I, I really believe sometimes that you have to think of things as it's a big issue. Corruption is so big, we have to address it. So it's not something that we shy and away from. And not many people want to. And not yeah. many people want to deal with it. But I And, and maybe the way we are dealing with it is a little bit um, benign. Because we're saying we've got to work with kids in schools, we've got to work with young people to deliberately nurture character and Mm. personal leadership. We say we've got to offer these um, experiences so young people know how to call out corruption, how to use their voices for positive causes from really early on. What does it mean to have a growth mindset, to have self-confidence? So that all of these, and what we're calling them, are character traits. We identified eight character traits that were who Wangari Mathai was. Okay, so that was Christiana's clip. Let's hear some of your thoughts on this. What do you think after you've listened to this again? What was extraordinary about that for me was I just, when, when she, she, she gave that quote, uh, I used it very extensively with everyone I was talking to for the next year. It's absolutely true to understand um, the, so to say, environmental problems that we spend all our time thinking about through the lens of, of political problems and economic tr- problems and, and, and ethical problems of corruption and greed. It's an incredible insight. Mm-hmm. I think for, for me, like when I when I witnessed that interview just before coming to uh, Global Optimism, I was working on education and changing education systems and how you nurture a new generation that's truly caring and empathetic and uh, equipped with change making skills, as we say. And for me at that time, the challenge was that, you know, education change takes a long time and you might see the results like in generations or in many years to come where with, with climate change, we don't have that much time. We actually, you know, we are short on time. And for me, you know, the urgency of climate change versus like the long-term impact of education change, uh, there was like a a gap there, a disconnect. But somehow we need to do both because there's no way you can address the environmental crisis without changing the way young people are educated and the the values that we instill in them and which character traits they're developing, right? So Mm. how how do we work in two different sort of like levels of like pace uh, of time and impact that at the same time are both needed. 
And she names that, right? You know, she says it's slow and deep work. And I think part of what's inspiring about that quote is that she's not afraid to do it. You know, I think, you know, just these concepts are so powerful, right? Courage deficit, uh, an integrity deficit. You know, these are the issues that lie upstream of everything that we deal with downstream. And ultimately, we can sort of, you know, try and deal with this in the manifest way that it appears in the world. But she's right. And she takes us straight there. These are the core issues that underlie everything that we work on. Um, I agree. That's a very inspiring moment throughout the year. And I have a little challenge as a follow-up. Okay. Sit down and with a little pencil or, you know, your computer if you want, and write the eight character traits that you want to be known for once you're no longer here. Hmm. Hmm. Character traits. Not what you did, what you didn't do. Right. You know, this is not about achievements. This is not about performance. This is who are you as a human being? And then see if anybody agrees with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really nice. That reminds me a little bit. Um, Tom Friedman talks sometimes about whether you live for your resume or your eulogy. And character traits are about the eulogy and the resume means nothing. And on the resume, the issues that are relevant to your eulogy mean nothing. And that division between the two is part of what's the problem with our world. My father's way of expressing that idea was you better live the way you think because otherwise you'll end up thinking the way you live. Nice. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so Tom, let's go to your first clip. It's from our interview with Aurora, who's a Norwegian musical artist. Could you give us just a little about her and about why you chose this clip? Yeah, no, I'm very happy to. So Aurora um, is like a, she's like in her late teens or early 20s. She's sort of unbelievably, uh, she's young and she's sort of unbelievably prescient in terms of her insight into life. And we reached out to her because she wrote a song um, about climate change that was inspired by the school strikers. And I went to Dublin to interview her. So I was in the room with her and we had this amazing kind of hour or so. And we Skyped in Christiana, who then asked many of the questions. And I think that she just, she made a very deep impression on me just in terms of her presence. And in this clip in particular, she talks about the sufficiency of individual experience and how that individual experience can be deeply satisfying. And that had a big impact on me at the time. It had a big impact on Christiana, as you'll hear. But I also thought that it's an important moment to revisit now as we are all self-isolating around the world. And this is somebody who has felt the fruits of that and the benefit of that. And it feels to me like an inspiring moment from the year we've had. Awesome. Here's the clip. Oh, I just go inwards into myself. Um, I have those noise-canceling earphones, which is really good for my mind. I hate I hate the sound of the world sometimes, mm. especially when there are like it's a, a mechanical world, world, not a natural world, and it 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 brings me a lot of joy to kind of uh, shut that out. And I have these things I like to do. I love to count things. I love to clean, like pull hairs from the people in front of me in the line <laughs> and hope that they won't notice it. I love to, you know, watch at people and you look at them and you can see so clearly sometimes what they're feeling. People are so funny when they're annoyed of a person taking too, too long time in front of them. It's very interesting to just watch the world is very interesting and you can learn a lot and laugh a lot with it. And I make sure to to 
to spend all my time. Like, I never make a meal at home without lighting a candle or having tea. You know, it's about making those small things also become really important and beautiful. Um, and it's all about those small things. You don't have to always go out and explore the world. You can make... Every, like small things, very beautiful. Mm, by absolutely. just appreciating. Perhaps you know, even more beautiful. Yes, even more beautiful because it's achievable and it it can teach you how much fun you can have just you. You don't need anything else. You're enough. And I think that's the most um, important kind of fun I have in my life with myself. I've really learned how to be my own best friend, which I think is very beneficial Um and it's very fun. Um, and yes, I, I know that, you know, we live in a world also today where everything is not fun. And many people do things every day. They don't think it's fun so they can have fun later. Um, and I guess that's just how it is. But you can always find some way to kind of enjoy. Have fun now. Why delay more. it until tomorrow? You can have more fun yeah. tomorrow. It's yes, not that we're yes, going to run true. out of fun, right? You can always have more fun. You can always yes. generate more fun. Yes, you can always have more fun. You can and always a, generate more, more happiness and more love. Yes, you can. And, and, you know, there are always people around you to inspire or to make their day a bit better, which can be very fun for you too. It can give you energy that will last for a little while. Bring like a good meal to work, something you've made. I don't know, just small gifts for yourself all the time. I think that's very important. And then, of course, to dance, to go out and dance without drinking any alcohol, just being wild and it's you and you're there and you're present. That's a very important kind of fun for me. I love dancing. I feel more natural in my own body when I dance and when I sit still um, and I think that's such a, a good way to have fun because you're just I don't know and the more stupid you look the more beautiful it seems to the world because they seem that they they can tell that that's a person that has no walls they have utter freedom and that's one of the most beautiful things there is I think You're a beautiful soul. Mm, thank you. So are you. <laughs> Aurora, thank you so, so much. Thank, thank, I, I was going to say thank you for taking the time, but it's not about the time. Thank you for the richness of what you have shared with us. Really, absolutely oh. beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We can do something really nice in this world, can't we? Indeed. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's so beautiful. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Christiana's crying again. She, oh, that's very sweet. She's quite a person, Aurora. My God. You know, I mean, you sort of, there's the, I mean, young people, and we've said this so many times in the podcast, are changing the world with their determination and ambition and focus and tenacity. And, you know, she's an example of that, manifesting that through the arts. And she's really using her art to improve the world. And you can see she is deeply wise as a human being, as is entirely evident in that clip. And I, that's, that's just the sort of thing. When we started the podcast a year ago, that's just the sort of moment and insight that I hoped we would be able to bring to people. Mm. Well, I also, um, yes, I totally agree. And 
I also love her humor. I mean, yeah. I so totally could see her standing in long lines at the airport <laughs> or, you know, wherever, um, and pulling hairs out of the people who are standing <laughs> in true. front of her. <laughs> I don't think it would be half as charming if I tried that, to be honest with you. Well, um, I don't think it's charming if you notice that someone is doing that from behind. But I'm sure she does it, you know, and nobody notices. And she she just, as she says, she finds the humor, right? She creates humor and fun in her own life, despite the fact that she works very, very hard. Yeah, I just, I just loved that little image. Great. Okay, so thanks, Tom, for your selection. We'll get to the many more of yours in a moment, but let's jump over to Paul's. Paul also chose a clip from an interview that we had with a young person this last year. Paul? Yeah, I mean, you know, talking about Aurora, it was great to hear about the the role of the arts in climate change rather than just the regular stuff. Um, and I'd love to see more artists um, involved in 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 our movement. But I'm going to pick up on somebody uh, who I think is just an incredible strategist, um, and this is uh, Luisa Neubauer, and she. Uh, I've just chosen two minutes of the of the clip because I don't want you know the the story. Listen to the episode again if you want to learn about the most effective activism that I've ever come across. But just from this clip, you'll hear her see. You'll hear her. You'll understand her strategy. You'll understand how she thinks about how to make an intervention with this enormous global company Siemens. How she's. I mean, she got to meet the CEO and was in negotiations with the company, and she was in the media. And I just want you to. Uh, I hope you'll enjoy hearing about her her logic and her tactics. Uh, she's quite an inspiration in how to understand how the world operates and how to change it. Great. Let's listen in. Um, many probably know about the Adani coal mine, which is like one of the most um, damaging coal mines in the world. And if it goes through as planned, it not only threatens the 1.5 target, but the two degree target. So when they actually get all the coal out of that mine. So uh, what is clear from a climate perspective, this coal, this coal mine can't, you know, open up. That's, that's as simple as that. And so for eight years, activists in Australia have been campaigning against this coal mine um, and the hashtag of Stop Adani. A lot, actually more than 60 companies so far, have openly stepped back from this project, like the Deutsche Bank, like Allianz, um, big names, um, who said, look, we are not going to get involved in this, but there are other companies who are still involved. Mainly the financial sector, right? It's Stepped really away. about yes, it's really it. the financial yeah. sector. Yeah, they said and we're not going to fund it. Large investors and large insurances, insurances said exactly. we are going to get involved. Exactly. Yet there were other companies who were still involved, um, and this was Siemens. So, Lisa, sorry, can you just repeat what was the or what is the planned intended involvement of Siemens? Oh yes, yeah. yeah. so actually it's 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 minor. What Siemens does, they build some technologies used for the railway that then. Uh, transports the coal from the mine to the harbour. So for this railway, it's 200 kilometres. Which to, hasn't been built yet. Which hasn't been built yet. Um, important for that to know is the actual investment of Siemens is just 80 million US dollars. It's uh, 80 million euros, I think. It's not that much. It's mm. for Siemens, it's peanuts. But the other two companies in Australia who could provide such technologies have declined to cooperate on this project. So it is really a thing where Siemens plays a special role. Wow. Way cool. Paul, what do you think? 
And there's so much more to that story, but it just it's so it's so good to hear how she's meticulously with her, the other people she works with taking apart how business operates, where there's a major problem in Sidani coal mine, and and how to have an intervention. I found it really inspiring. Yeah, she she had a big effect on me. I mean, I, I as you you said the word strategist at the beginning. I mean, we you know we we spent a bit of time with her in Davos. We hung out with her a little bit up the mountain, and then she came down and agreed to come on the podcast, and we talked about this and what happened when the Siemens CEO approached her. And she just had this incredible, clear sight in terms of what she wanted to achieve, this determination, this ambition. Um, I've rarely been as impressed with anyone as I was with Luisa Neubauer. Yeah, I agree. And now listening to that, you know, I'm just, again, struck uh, by her um, most effective use of a very long lever. Um, Because what she's trying to do here is to stop the opening of the Adani coal mine, uh, the largest, if it were to open, the largest coal mine, certainly in Australia. Um, And uh, and as she says, which is completely blast through 1.5 or even 2 degrees of maximum temperature. So it's a big, huge deal. And it's a huge investment and has been on the books for years. And the Chinese government has been involved and the Australian and the Indian government. I mean, it's just a huge, huge project. And she went in with a scalpel, right? And she said, right, Mm. where am I going to cause trouble here? Um, And she uh, identified, or the team that she works with, that um, Siemens produces this one technology, especially a switch for the um, railroad. And without that, they cannot build the railroad. They cannot transport the coal. And hence, it becomes a completely unviable project. So, you know, it's not like she is um, chaining herself to to the place where the mine is going to be. She has identified this one little piece of technology without which that coal mine is unviable. Uh, and he's just going for that, going, you know, going for the juggler, uh, right with the company that uh, that would be the, um, the the company to produce this. So, you know, good, good on her to really use um, a, a tiny little technology, technological piece, a little device, let's call it a device, a tiny device to move or to yeah. impede a whole mountain. Yeah. People people have been much less successful with much more leverage in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about understanding systems and how to intervene in them. Yeah. Anyway, well done her. Well done. I never met her, which is a great pity, but I was very impressed. Cool. All right. Clay, what's next? So let's jump back over to one of your clips. Um, this one is a bit different. It's about the role of government. So this one Sorry, we had why a... does Tom get to pick so many? I thought <laughs> yeah, you why told does us Tom one per person. Many? You did tell us it was one per person. Yeah, I did. I don't know. Uh, they're good clips. I like them. But, you know, I only get three. Now, Clay's only going to play three because two of them crossed over with yours. So I suggested six, but I only get three. That's true. Does that seem more fair? <laughs> It's, it's a diplomatic solution. Uh, I don't quite understand what just happened, but apparently we haven't got our complaints. So please carry on, Clay. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Uh, so, Tom, this is your clip. Number two. What is it? Why'd you pick it? 
Okay, so this is super early in our in our journey, and it's like our third podcast, and it seemed like such a random selection that we would have William Hague, the former foreign secretary, former leader of the Conservative Party, on. But it proved to be one of our most successful of the UK. Of the UK, thank you very much, Christiana. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, it proved to be, I think, one of the most interesting episodes, and um, and partly because he's such an unusual voice on this issue. You know, normally you would hear from people who are traditionally of the left. And he is a right of centre politician, absolutely believes in the free market and in innovation and entrepreneurialism and and all these other things, uh, but also is unapologetic in his level of commitment to the climate crisis. And um, in this clip, I've pushed him to endorse civil disobedience because Extinction Rebellion have taken over the streets of London. And just one tiny anecdote that I should share. Um, we interviewed William Hague in the House of Lords and Christiana dialed in. I was there in person and it was super early. I wasn't quite sure how to set up the kit. I was there. I looked a little bit too informal compared to the gravity and the importance of the situation. And when Christiana first dialed in and was talking with William, I was still struggling with microphones and connections and everything. <laughs> and, 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 and William was, I heard him talking to Christiana and he goes, I don't know who this felt sweaty fellow is, but he's running round and round the table like there's no tomorrow. And then I sat down and started asking the questions. So it was this kind of hilarious moment. <laughs> anyway, here is Lord Hague of Richmond. All right, pressing play. I think that, um, you know, what the point you've made about the fact that the, the government will ultimately respond to the electorate, of course, is is true. And in a way, I think... That is, that is the point of the outrage. I mean, the optimism, I think, which you've pointed to is like, you know, the enterprise can be there, we can become richer as a result of this transition, telling that story. But in a way, the outrage has to drive the politicians to being bold enough to actually take the measures, whether it's a carbon tax or whatever else. So I think just to come back to where this conversation started, do you think we get there without more civil disobedience to try and drive more interest because i think the interesting thing about extinction rebellion is it doesn't seem to have turned everybody off the climate Mm -hmm. discussion like it could have done it seems to have been bringing people on board and raising the issue well i'd like to think that we could get there without civil disobedience but uh, and of course it's difficult for somebody who is uh, like me to advocate civil disobedience i'm not doing that i would just say that if it's necessary, it has to be really carefully thought about. Yeah. And a, a lot of what happened in London and other cities was very carefully thought about. I really right. give them credit uh, for that. Um, um, but it, has to, it really has to keep that same spirit of making a point without turning millions of people uh, mm. against Off. it. So yeah. others will have to judge whether, you know, sure. I'm, I'm really... You're, you're, you're taking me a bit too far to get me to advocate civil disobedience. <laughs> what I will advocate is that politicians of all political parties and all nationalities really grasp this sure. issue now. Don't just declare an emergency, but start to act as if it was and, and try to make their country a model way forward. So um, you can all decide about the outrage and people like me should work on the optimism. So I I just think that it's so great that he's engaged in this issue. He wants to have the conversation. He wants to propose solutions. He's very influential even in the current Conservative government. And, you know, I thought that it was great that he came on, that he talked to us about this, and he was prepared to give credit where it was due to Extinction Rebellion. So, you know, right-wing politics meets civil disobedience. 
That's one of my picks. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely loved it. I love it. I love it. That, like, he basically wants to say, yes, I agree with Extinction Rebellion, but he can't say that. So yeah. what he does rather beautifully is he says, if it's necessary, it needs to be carefully thought through, but it was carefully thought through, <laughs> uh, and which is kind of like, and then he said, you know, you can't push me too far, but uh, it, was the, it was the biggest uh, non-endorsement endorsement I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> so this leads me to my clip, which I've chosen, which is a little different. Hey. Uh-oh, drum roll. <laughs> and I'll need all of your help because I'm going to use the clip to tell a short story uh, from behind the scenes. So last year, we had former prime minister of the UK, Theresa May, on the podcast. and Although she was at the time the prime minister. Yes, and at the time she was the prime minister. And an interview like this with someone in a powerful role of government requires an immense amount of coordination and planning and setup, but we did not have the time <laughs> for that. Uh, as we had received a last minute notice that the prime minister was available for an interview. So Tom, could you explain a bit about, you know, what the situation was that led to this interview and what situation we were in when number 10 agreed to let us do the interview? Uh, well, so, I mean, at the time, the UK government had declared a climate emergency. We had talked to number 10. They said that they might be interested in the conversation. They then agreed, but wanted it to be only with Christiana and could only do it at a time that Christiana was actually on stage giving a speech in Jerusalem. Yes. <laughs> so I had to go to number 10 as a sort of audio engineer lackey. And I went in there and sort of handed over my microphones and got set up and then was closeted away in a separate room while something happened with Christiana and the prime minister. Is that enough background? Yes. So you're in London, locked in a room, no phone. I'm in Detroit setting up the conference call for the interview. Christiana's on stage Sorry. in Jerusalem. <laughs> and Marina, where are you? So I was in London, but Christiana was in Jerusalem. And also her phone was not with Christiana because she was on stage. So I had to rely on someone else in the room at the event in Jerusalem to try and get Christiana off the stage on time. And the event was running late. Yes. Yeah. yes. The, the situation was outrageous, but we were optimistic. Blindly. Yes. So we're 10 minutes out from the interview, have not heard from Christiana, and I... <laughs> I am at peak stress level. Okay, you probably won't be able to tell in this recording, but I'm very stressed. Have not heard from Christiana. Haven't heard anything from Tom because he's locked in a room. And that's when 10 Downing Street calls me. <laughs> oh, good evening. I'm calling from Downing Street switchboard. Um, yes. I believe we're joining the correct meeting. Who am I speaking to, please? Uh, you're speaking to Clay Carnell. I'm the producer for Outrage and Optimism. Oh, okay. Hello, Craig. Hi. Uh, as agreed, you're dialing in 10 minutes before the Prime Minister, or just after um, 10 minutes before the uh, Prime Minister's due to call. So if you, we can hold this line open. Absolutely. We'll announce the Prime Minister as and when. Is that okay? Yes, that works great. Thank you. Okay, that's great. Thanks. One moment. Okay, let's pause for a second. So he thinks my name is Craig at this point, which I think is going to blow the entire interview somehow. And five minutes pass total radio silence right marina and i are texting we have heard nothing <laughs> and then he jumps back on hello craig it's the operator again <laughs> yes can you can you hear me uh, just, just to confirm as expected we're expecting to bring the prime minister to the line in five minutes time okay yes that's correct yep that that's fine thanks well what i'll do um just before we bring the prime minister to the line i'll come back to you just to confirm you're ready to go and uh, we'll take it from there okay thank you so much okay thanks 
<laughs> so major learning here, Claire, is that when you sound at your most sort of smiley and optimistic, it's actually when you're at your most frightened. Very helpful. Yeah, I was definitely channeling some other happy, very excited, <laughs> everything's going fine person. Um, you know, because I'm sweating. I can't stop clearing my throat because I have no idea what's about to happen. I, I actually have that recorded too. Here, I'll play that. <clears throat> <laughs> so as i'm panicking i'm clearing my throat um anticipating the worst i get interrupted by this really strange alarm sound and then the operator patches in tom who has had no contact with any of us for hours and he asked me for some good news uh it's the operator hello just to advise uh, tom you're able to speak to the producer now thanks Thank you, Operator. Hello, Clay. It's Tom here. I just wanted to find out if you've had any communication from Christiana as to when she'll be joining. Uh, Marina is calling Colin right now to make sure that she, she is off the stage. But uh, I have not okay. heard from her since she went on stage. <laughs> okay. So you, but you're in touch with Marina? Yep. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so we should wait, operator, to dial in the prime minister until we have Christiana on the phone. We shouldn't dial, bring in Indeed. the prime minister. Hello. Yes, hello, Tom. I'm, I'm here. Yeah, we understand that. I was going to go back, obviously, to make sure that the, the party at the other end was ready to go before we made a move. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much. You can put us back on mute. Okay, thanks. Thanks. What a breach of protocol. Yeah, so you might not have been able to make out what they said at the end there, but basically someone suggests it would be rude to keep her waiting. And I realized, Tom, I never really asked you, where were you? (laughs) So I have been taken, so there's quite an interesting backstory here. So I've been taken like all the way through the nice parts of number 10, up endless rounds of spiral staircase, up to the very top to this little room, right in the top where I'm looking over Downing Street. And the interesting thing about this, and this will only be relevant to people who are from the UK, is that there was this constant noise going on outside the room and I kept opening the door and I was sure there was a cat out there. And eventually I realised that there was a cat out there and it's quite a famous cat. His name is Larry and he's the Downing Street cat. And I can share with anyone who doesn't know Larry that he's a complete bastard. He keeps (laughs) meowing and meowing and like tries to get into the room and then he's scratching at the door. So I kept trying to shove him down the stairs and get him away and he kept coming back and scratching. So that was my experience. I don't think you can say about that uh, very high level cat. I don't think it's appropriate to talk about a government cat in that way, Tom. So I'm just, I'm calling it out now. So I'm sorry, but yeah. Okay, so mind you, we only have 15 minutes scheduled once the interview starts, and that time is about to begin. And I think that the operator is starting to lose faith in our ability to pull this thing off. Should we find out what happens to our heroes next? Let's do it. Go for it. It's the operator again. Uh, Just to advise, I'll be staying on the line now, just waiting for your instruction before we um, bring the Prime Minister to the line. So I'll just (laughs) stay on the line, and as soon as you... um, Give us the okay, we'll get things going. <laughs> okay, great, thank you. Thanks, thanks. I can see I can see on the video at the moment, Christiana's burying her face in her hands at the awkwardness. Let's just keep the leader of a G7 economy waiting. I just want you to know that I'm mortified at listening to this. I never knew that any of this had happened. <laughs> totally mortified. I'm embarrassed. Do you know what a breach of protocol it is to keep uh, quite the prime so. minister waiting? Uh. I just... <laughs> 
Yes. I am oh, just we're, mortified. We're well aware of how unappreciable. <laughs> Clay, roll the clip. Okay, okay. So we're 60 seconds from the interview beginning, and a miracle happens. Hello. Hey, Christiana, is this you? Yeah, this is Christiana. Hi, it's Clay. Hi, Clay. <laughs> How are we doing? Uh, we're doing great. We're on the line here with the switch. <laughs> okay, that was a lie. Uh, that was a lie. I lied to you. I'm very yep. sorry about that. We worked that one out on our own. Clay. Okay. Everything is great. And then as soon as you have your setup ready, we will uh, bring in the prime minister. I, my, I'm ready. Um, and uh, Clay, just one question. Do you want to do the recording of the 30 seconds before she comes in? Uh, no, we'll do it afterwards. <laughs> All right. So we have Christiana here. Uh, are we able to bring in the prime minister? The operator again. Just a slight delay at this end. Hopefully we'll be with you very, very soon. Thank you. Oh, great. Thank you. I am on the floor with mortification. <laughs> Find the basement, Christiana. There's more. Yes, we can bring in the Prime Minister now. Hopefully she'll be on the line within about 20 seconds or so, and we will announce the Prime Minister. Okay? okay great. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, so a brief silence, and by brief, I mean the longest 20 seconds of my life. And then... Prime Minister on the line. Go ahead. Prime Minister. Hello, Prime Minister. Can you hear me? I can indeed, Christiana. <laughs> hey, yeah. yeah, we did it. All's well that ends well. That's what Shakespeare said. <laughs> okay, so we wrap up the interview, and it seems like everything's going totally fine. Except I'm stressed. Clay's on the floor. I'm slowly <laughs> recovering. Yeah, I'm slowly recovering from my panic state. And really, the, the interview went very well. It was a great interview. Yes. So we wrap up the recording. And then Christiana comes up with an idea and she suggests something to me. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. What did I suggest? Yeah, yeah. So keep in mind, Tom did not hear the interview. He has no idea how it just went. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Clay? Yes. Okay, I kept it nice and short because I think the agreement was what, like, I think it's 15 minutes. Yeah, so it was perfect timing. Whereas poor Tom, he's probably so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Let's tell Tom that I didn't record. <laughs> tell him that you so, didn't record? Yeah, just because I want him to panic. Oh, no, I can't do that. <laughs> That's so naughty. <laughs> oh. I'm going to say that on the thing. Don't panic. Okay. 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 I won't panic. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I'm not part of this. <laughs> I'm not involved. <laughs> I am so, not involved in this. Early, early ethical concerns, right? Yeah. So Tom didn't hear the interview. He packs up the gear, he takes his phone, goes outside, turns his phone on, and sees the message. Tom, what is going on in your head when you see this message from Christiana? Well, you know, I, I two things happened in my head, actually. I do remember hearing the clip, uh, or getting the message, rather, and two things happened. One was I thought, that could be true. Christiana just came <laughs> off a speech in Jerusalem, and she went downstairs, and what the hell just happened? I don't know how the interview went, what went on, and now she didn't record it anyway. But there was also a part of my mind that knows Christiana and that wondered that this could actually be a practical joke because she and I have played that joke on other people in the past. 
All the time harassed by a government cat. Poor Tom. <laughs> Tom messaged me and he said, did she record it or not? I can't tell if she's joking. Lots of exclamation marks, lots of question marks. And I couldn't take it any longer. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's joking. And then I told her not to say that. Tom should know me by now. Uh, there you go. It's so cruel. <laughs> so to wrap it all up, we got the recording. The prime minister was not kept waiting for us. Uh, we had our bit of fun and a lot of stress. Don't get me wrong. And the episode went out. Um, and why I chose this story to tell was because for as much seriousness as we bring to our work and we take climate change very seriously. It is so much fun working with all of you. I've really enjoyed all the fun that we had over the last year. And, you know, all that stress and hard work went towards something for this episode. Um, it was featured on the front page of Apple Podcasts. So that was cool. Awesome. Okay. So we have time for just a couple more clips. Um, I know this next one is Tom's clip, but Paul, could you intro it for us? Okay, so the next quote is kind of serious. It's one of Tom's, um, but it's from David Attenborough, who was a wonderful interview. It was our first interview, our launch interview. But he did say some things that were so serious, it kind of made us realize that we do work on an incredibly serious subject. And it's a very kind of difficult thing to hear what you're about to but um but you know we, we're outraged and 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 here is david attenborough perhaps expressing that better than anybody so david we've taken a lot of your time thank you very much I just we have one final question um if that's all right um so it can be very hard to sort of internalize the reality of what some of the changes that are possibly in our future might look like. Loss of biodiversity and other issues can be very painful in all sorts of ways. And I just wondered, what sorts of stories do you tell yourself about the life that your great-grandchildren will lead? Do you see that as inhabiting a, inhabiting a world that is increasingly poorer? Or do you see signs of hope that they can live in a way that is regenerative and there's a brighter future? Do you know... I don't spend time thinking about that because I can't bear it. Um, you know, I'm just coming up to 93. Yeah. Um, and so I don't have many more years around here. Um, and I find it difficult to think about what's beyond there because the signs aren't good. Um, and I hope I would be doing what I'm doing and saying what I'm saying whether I spent time speculating about how awful the catastrophe might be or whether I don't. Um, it seems to me um, unnecessarily specific. There is a profound moral reason why we are doing what we're doing. Um, and it's not restricted to morality about co -human, other human beings. It's morality about the world. Uh, it's a morality that concerns the whole of uh, the, the, the animals and plants that exist in this world, which are a result of three and a half billion years of evolution, and that one generation should come along and think it has the right to maltreat it to the extent that it obliterates great sections of it is, to me, insupportable. It's not a question of argument or of uh, calculating how bad or unbad it is. It's just a, a moral issue. Mm. We have an obligation on our shoulders and uh, and it would be to our deep eternal shame uh, if we 
fail to acknowledge that. Do we have an option? We have no option. No, no option if we want to survive. Um, but the reason is because it's right. So, David, thank you so much. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Tom, would you mind sharing a little bit about what it meant to you, his answer to your question? So, I mean, that was obviously our very first episode and what a way to start. I mean, David Attenborough, so many of us have grown up with his voice, you know, uh, narrating the natural world and what he's seen and been sort of enthralled by the wonders of it. And I just thought it was amazing that he was prepared to go there and face the grief and the intensity of that reality. I mean, obviously he's been very vocal on climate now, but I think that this podcast was was one of the first times where the public got to see that kind of emotion in him. And I found it profoundly affecting. It's still one of the moments that people talk to me most about in the podcast. And in a in a sort of remarkable sort of turn of 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 surprise, really, he's kind of become a friend. I mean, we exchange letters, we talk on the phone, we've seen each other a few times since then. He came to our book launch. And I just, I, I cannot believe the privilege of sort of knowing even slightly someone of his stature, who, who sort of, his voice defined my childhood to a great degree and sort of set out that love of the natural world that's animated me. So it's been an amazing part of this year, uh, getting to know him, all started by that remarkable willingness of his to face that emotionality of this moment. It was really a very um, sobering moment for me because um, it showed in all its beauty and crudeness, both at the same time, that we all live in several realities at the same time. He, like all of us, he lives in a reality in which we are led by values and principles and our highest sense of what is right and what we want to fight for. And at the same time, we live in a reality where we are deeply pained by what is happening, and especially when we understand that it will affect those who we love dearest. And it's it, we, we're sort of caught there between pain and still being willing to fight. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so instructive that he's been willing to share that with us at this point, because as as you feel, Christiana, and as we all feel, this is, you know, it, it has it has moments of joy. And I think as Clay pointed out earlier, we've got to approach this with a sense of possibility and stubborn optimism and determination. But that doesn't mean that the grief doesn't break through in these moments that this world... I, that I, also, I also had a, a second reaction listening to this once again. And that is, I am um, also deeply moved by his sense of morality toward the natural world, because usually when we are in touch with our sense of morality and what is right, we're very human-centric about it. And mm, yeah. we are pained by what is going to happen to humans, um, to future generations. But his sense of morality, in addition to that, not that he negates it, but his sense of morality is primarily around the outcome of evolution on this planet. And as he says, right, uh, 
all these all these years of evolution to come to the richness that we're witnessing now and then the arrogance of one species to decide that we have the right to destroy and use and excavate and just use at our own will. And there's just huge arrogance there of our species with respect to all of the other species that um, inhabit this planet. And so morality toward the natural world is, um, is one that he deeply feels. Yeah. And it expresses so so beautifully, and it's not a very common space for us to visit. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. Serious words from on a serious subject from a a, a very gentle and thoughtful soul. Uh, a different tone, uh, but it's all part of understanding and doing what we try to do. Yeah. Cool. All right, Clay. You have another? Here we have. We're uh, nearly there. What's next? Yeah, we're nearly there. We have one final clip from our executive producer. Marina, bring us home. What's your clip? Well, I suggested or I picked this clip for many reasons. Uh, the first reason is because it's the first time I actually realized I might love finance and numbers. Uh, <laughs> it's the first time that someone made finance fun and interesting to me. Hmm. Um, but the second reason is I think related to the... The earlier clip we listened to, you know, talking about strategists and looking for the levers. And the reality is that where money goes, things happen. Uh, and there's so many unsung heroes uh, out there in the background who are changing the way money flows uh, in society. Uh, so one of the most exciting things from last year was this launch of the Asset Owner Alliance, which is this group of asset owners. So actually organizations that own most of the assets out there in the world that account for like 4.2 trillion uh, in assets. And all of these different um, asset owners have got together and decided they're going to align their portfolios with the Paris uh, goals. Uh, and behind that group is Oliver Bete, along with his whole team, who have been spearheading this. Um, CEO of Alliance. CEO of Alliance, one of my favorite companies, um, also for many reasons. Uh, but I thought, um, how interesting that, you know, there's there's so many people doing amazing work out there that we don't know of, that are in the background doing very, very smart things um, and, and changing the way money flows. Um, and so that's that's how the, the episode was called. Um, not all superheroes wear capes, because uh, really it did feel like I was watching or listening to a superhero there talk. And funny enough, Oliver looks pretty much like Clark Kent, I think. <laughs> Without the cape. It's true, it's true. <laughs> it's true. And just for our listeners, Paul, can you tell us who Larry Fink is, who we talk about in the clip? Um in this clip, you're going to hear um, Oliver talk about Larry Fink, who's the head of BlackRock, which is the world's largest asset manager. And each year, Larry Fink writes a letter which kind of sets the tone for the whole investment community uh, and is, is read by many, many people. And, uh, and Oliver, in a rather amusing way, uh, salutes Larry Fink for uh, uh, coming in strongly behind action on climate change. Wonderful. Um, thank you so much. Can I just ask you one more question before we let you sure. go, which is um, the the biggest news so far in 2020 from a finance perspective on climate change has been Larry Fink's letter. And I'm very curious to know what that letter looks like from the perspective of an asset owner. Thank you, Larry. We've been telling you for 10 years. <laughs> 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 
late to the party. No, I, I think it's you're late to the party, but welcome to the party. <laughs> welcome all the same. He's a good friend. He will forgive me. <laughs> so there you go. That's very sweet. It's nice to see that, uh, you know, there's a, 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 a spirit of fun uh, in the uh, competition to do the right thing amongst these great organizations. But, you, you know, the other thing that I took from that, and I think because lots of people have mentioned that particular clip to me, and I think, and, and people have loved it, um, people who work on climate change. And I think part of it was that people who work on climate change can feel like they're on the outside banging on the door to be let in. They don't always hold the power. They're trying to influence power. They're trying to get people who have great power to do something really meaningful. And I think what he did in that clip, Oliver, is he demonstrated that he was also one of those people who was banging on the door of Larry Fink, getting him to do the right thing. And it shifted it around. The people who are trying to get the world on the right track are no longer on the fringes. They're sitting in their positions of power. I think that's part of what was really resonant and meaningful for me in that very fun clip. Very reassuring. Yeah. Aww. <laughs> cool well, it's been lovely to look back through the whole year thank so, you for that so that's the complete set of our clips our selection um in a minute what we'd like to do is to play you uh last week clay made an invitation to our listeners to submit little audio or video, video montages around what they love about the podcast and we're going to play you a few of those as an outro to this one year anniversary episode but just as a way of kind of bridging between the two, between the past and, and, and that reflection, I wonder if we could just spend two or three minutes thinking about what's next. We've, we've completed a year in the podcast, which maybe we never thought we would do, but we did. Um, we feel like we're developing real momentum. We've got more and more listeners every week. It feels, it feels like we're doing something really exciting and building something new. Where do you guys want to see this go next? I mean, for me, the the, the thing that uh, is lovely to hear from um, some of some of the the people who be listening to the podcast, what what to, people listening to this program won't do is see the video that we've seen, and uh, you'll hear the wind. Most people who talk about the podcast are actually outside in nature, and I think that's really interesting. It's a great place to be, um, but. Um, but the, but I think in the future, what I'd really like to see is is us trying to be more supportive to all the networks of people out there um, doing fantastic things and to see if we can uh, really just coordinate a little bit more to make sure that everybody knows some of the you know some of the the most uh, interesting and exciting things that are happening so we can support uh, better knowledge sharing in an, in an efficient uh, way. That would be my hope for the future. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right, Paul. And I, I completely agree with that. I also think that, you know, what's exciting, I mean, this has been like, it's all been new this year, right? We've been doing this new thing. What's a podcast was the first question. We figured that out. But there were lots of other questions that kind of came after that. Um, and so the question for me is, how do we keep doing, how do we keep challenging ourselves to do the hard version of this podcast, where we keep it fresh, we have different types of conversations, we explore new issues, we challenge ourselves and our guests and the movement and the world to go further and faster. The world is throwing up so many changes at the moment with the coronavirus, the recovery from that, what all of that means. We have an opportunity to dig into it, but I think we're going to experiment with some different formats, experiment with some different types of guests, keep trying to think about 
about how do we move the conversation forward and keep the podcast moving in a different way so that we can keep it evolving. I think that's what's been so exciting about this year. We've allowed ourselves the flexibility and the freedom to 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 make this up as we go along. And I think that's what's been enjoyable, I hope, for the people listening. It's certainly what's kept my interest as one of the most exciting things that I do. And I think we should just keep doing that. Marina, Clay? So my hope for this next year is... I'd like to see us develop a closer relationship with our audience. Yeah, uh, we're going to be spending more time on social media, uh, interacting with everyone, and you know, all the stubborn optimists out there are doing incredible things. Mm-hmm. And this next year, I'd like to see us connect more, as we all are daily doing the work of loving our planet and bringing about the better future for everything living on it. So, very similar to Paul's. Here, here, love it. I think for me, one of the one of the jewels of this podcast is, you know, reading all these messages that come through our podcast at globaloptimism.com. Uh, we're not so great at uh, replying fast, but we do read all the messages and and actually realizing there's there is people out there listening to us. Um, <laughs> it's always a and, surprise, and, isn't it? <laughs> it's a surprise sometimes. Uh, but of the of the very short book tour we managed to to do this year, uh, it was so moving to actually meet many of our listeners in person and have them come to us and say, hey, I am a big fan of uh, Outreach and Optimism and I love the podcast and this is how it has helped me and this is what I'm doing uh, as a result of, you know, of of getting involved in this conversation. So I love for our podcast to to help spark more, more um, decisive, committed action uh, and serve as a fuel for all of those that uh, want to do something, don't know where to start, but they are committed to start somewhere um, and to be there for them uh, in that journey. Mm. Very nice. Christiana? So I share um, those those aspirations with all of you. um, And I just want to put them into the context of uh, what we're doing here, because the podcast is not an end on its own. It actually is uh, a means towards something obviously much greater. And we see this podcast as functioning in service of encouraging, nudging, cajoling, congratulating, (laughs) anything that is necessary to get us out of a sense of being victims to climate change and rather move us over to a sense of having agency on uh, on what the future is going to be. And in fact, as we now know this year, on what the present is. Yeah. That to me is the huge opening. And I think because we're in service of accelerating uh, responsible responses and actions on climate change, This year and and this pandemic has made that context both easier and extraordinarily more difficult. It is easier because uh, a totally unintended consequence of the tragedy of lost lives and lost livelihoods is that we probably will this year Uh, not only peak emissions, but we will reduce emissions in the equivalency of the yearly emission reduction that we have to achieve were we doing it intentionally, which we're not. 
in order to get on track on climate change. So it's somewhat, the context is somewhat easier because we've gotten a taste that this is sort of possible. Obviously not this way because we don't want to do it by uh, punishing everyone, uh, especially those that are most vulnerable to their economic well-being um, or to health aspects. But there is a taste, right? There is a taste that actually we could intentionally do this. Now, it is extraordinarily more difficult for exactly the same reason. And the reason is that this has been an unintended consequence and we have to make it an intended and intentional result of our, um, of our actions. And that is the change in mindset that we have to achieve. Um, this cannot be on the, on the back of, uh, of deaths. It cannot be on the backs, backs of losing jobs. It cannot be on the backs of companies going bankrupt. It has to be quite to the contrary. It has to be on the back of much better development, much better well-being for everyone, much better, safer, cleaner growth. And that is the challenge, right? That's the challenge. And it has never stared us quite as starkly in the face, but it has always never invited us so, um, so deeply to move in that direction. So I, I'm just really, um, I'm not sure that excited is the world word. I think I'm challenged to think about how do we use this podcast, which is only a means to an end. How do we use it without losing the fun that we have, the humor, the amazing number of people that we invite to come on the air with us? How do we use this as a tool to um, ensure that a growing number of people understand that addressing climate change is doable? Yeah. that it is achievable and that it can actually uh, bring a much better quality of life to people and certainly to uh, to nature. So I'm, I'm not sure what that means, but... Um, I know what it means. I know what it means. It means that uh, you have beautifully put that, Christiana, and we will invite uh, the many thousands of people listening to this to come to us with their own ideas about how to answer your question about how to use this tool as a means to an end. But to quote uh, a famous science fiction film, there is no fate but what we make for ourselves. That's the learning. That is the laziest answer to a beautiful question I've ever heard, Paul Dickinson. <laughs> <laughs> Lazy has got me to where I am today. That's I don't know where that is, but, but it's, it's where I am. <laughs> Christiana, absolutely. That's the question, right? This is a means to an end and th how we can adapt and be flexible to use this to try to achieve that collective outcome is what we're all here for. And it's what everybody listening is motivated by. All right. So this has been... Fantastic. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, friends, for being here. This has been a great look back on the year. Thank you, everybody at home for listening. We're going to say goodbye now and leave you with an audio montage of feedback from you, our listeners. We had so much feedback. We've selected just a few clips to drop in here at the end of the episode. We really appreciate you listening. We hope you'll continue on this journey with us. We will continue to do everything we can to bring you the best content, the best analysis as we collectively rise to meet the challenge of this moment. We all know that we can do this. The future is within our hands to create. Let's go and do it. 
thanks for being here. Bye. See you next Bye. week. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, here we go. Hi, my name is Dean Valores. I live in Grafton, Massachusetts, and I listen to the Outrage and Optimism podcast for many reasons. But my primary reason is it's a chance to sit with other humans who are also outraged on this planet, speak intelligently, and to offer a sense of hope, compassion, and forward thinking in a way that's loving and not all about winning. I appreciate what you guys do. Keep it up. Thank you. My name's Jen, and I listen to the Outrage and Optimism podcast from Manchester, England. And the thing I like best about it is the absolute powerhouse that is Christiana Figueres. She has a lethal combination of knowledge and passion. And I also really appreciate the constant reminders of the social injustice of climate change. It's a conversation I don't think we have enough when we talk about climate change, and it's so needed. So thank you for that. My name is Linda Saul. Um, I'm in Basking Ridge, New Jersey right now. And the best thing about your podcast is I really enjoyed being introduced to Aurora. I thought that was a terrific interview. And I, I listen to your podcasts when I wander through what we call the Lord Sterling Wildlife Refuge. And it's nothing but woods, but I love to listen to you guys when I'm walking. And it's, it's so, just so pleasant. And thank you. Thank you so much. Hello, my name is Maria Jose. I'm originally from Costa Rica, but currently live in Tokyo. And I think one of the best things about your podcast is actually the banter between you three at the beginning and at the end of the episode, because it's really funny, but also because it really helps me understand the ideas that you previously discussed with the guests and the debate around the sustainable development issues. So... Um, congratulations on your one year. Hi, Global Optimism. I'm Pete. I'm listening from Abingdon near Oxford in the UK. I love many things about the Outrage and Optimism podcast, but top of the list has to be the weekly dose of stubborn optimism that you guys give me, which is really, really, really helping me stay motivated in my role as a climate activist. So thank you so much for all the hard work that you're putting into making such an amazing podcast. And please, please carry on because you're doing a great job. So I'm Hermione, I'm listening from Hampshire, uh, lovely wood, and what I love about this podcast, having discovered it in the middle of lockdown, is that it allows me to feel part of a conversation that isn't just the same old, slightly right-wing and nationalistic conversation with my parents, escapism to people who share my wavelength, but have a hell of a lot more knowledge than I ever will. So thank you. Wow, Outreach and Optimism is one year old. Definitely one of my favorite podcasts. I'm Francisca. I live in Washington, DC, and I love Outreach and Optimism because it um, shows us how important it is to make a community and make people feel like we are all helping in this fight and we are all important. Thank you for making this awesome podcast. Hello, Christiana. Hello, Tom, Paul, Clay and the Global Optimism team. My name is Valentin. I'm 25 years old and currently based in New York. I have found that taking climate action can sometimes bring feelings of vulnerability and doubt, especially in the face of resistance. What I like best about outrage and optimism is listening to experts and leaders from around the world 
discuss the necessary and specific changes that we need to be making. They are people just like you and I and the listeners on this podcast who are making decisions within their respective circles. It reminds me that we are all part of the collective effort to change the trajectory of the crisis. Although systemic scale decisions are not directly under our control, let's remember that they are influenced by the collective accumulation of our actions. Your conversations inform the changes that I'm making as an individual and the changes that I'm encouraging in the circles around me. Listening to you brings an encouraging reminder to stay stubbornly optimistic and channel my feelings into informed actions. So thank you for the wonderful work you are doing and I look forward to continue listening to and sharing your conversations. My name is Pamela Elisa Raras. I'm from Mexico City and the thing I like best about outrage and optimism is that even though you always talk about the truth and the harsh realities, I always leave the podcast feeling like there's still hope in this world. So there you go. Another episode of Outrage and Optimism. Thank you so much to everyone who submitted a video, audio recording, or even just wrote into us this past week. All of your messages made us feel amazing. It was really special to hear from all of you. So thank you. Every week I thank the team because the team makes it happen. And that team is Laura Richardson, Sarah Law, Katie Bradford, Sharon Johnson, Nigel Topping, and Michael Northrup. Okay, Outrage and Optimism is a production of Global Optimism, and our producer is Clay Carnell, and our executive producer is Marina Mancilia German. Marina, that was really fun to co-host. We should definitely do that again, you know, if they'll let us. I put a link in the show notes to the World Health Organization's guidelines on how to protect yourself and loved ones from COVID-19. Be sure to check that out. You can connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Global Optimism. Let's keep this conversation going. You can subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. Next week, right back here in your feed with another episode. We'll see you then.